Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 13. I'm probably going to get back to the study in Ephesians next week. I just did not feel liberty or at peace. Um, the next few chapters that we're going to, uh, or verses I should say in Ephesians that we're going to look at are dealing um, with the family unit with, with husbands and wives and their relationship with children and then there's a section in there about relationships with employers and employees and and um and you know all that's all that's important i just didn't feel at, at liberty or, or uh at peace with beginning the new year um right there and so uh, i felt the lord lead me in another direction so I'm, I'm gonna share with you some thoughts from romans chapter 13 with this with this on our mind this is i said it this morning in a facebook post for whatever reason the beginning of a new year psychologically i think presents for us an opportunity to do something different um, now we can do that anytime. You can start new anytime you want to. You uh, you get up tomorrow morning and God's mercies are new. So you, it, you ain't got to wait for a new year to begin to make a change for the better, to make a resolution to do better. Um, but let's let's face it. When we when we get a brand new start to a brand new year, um, it's first and foremost is fresh on our minds that this is an opportunity for me to improve over last year. Um, I, I tell I, I've told you this before. I say this about every year. I really do try every year to just kind of take a look back over my life in the last year and identify where I believe the Lord has grown me some and um, give Him praise for that. And also, you know, to check myself in some areas where I'm failing at and make um, make a mental note that you need to do better in this in this coming year. Um, it, it, it just kind of struck me the other day, just kind of out of the blue, um, something came up. I, I, I had a, um, a situation that, um, that I tried to help out in. And um, anyway, it kind of, after, after a day or so of, of dealing with that, I thought, you know what, I've slept well at night in spite of the fact that I had this on my mind and on my heart. And um, I've been at peace, and um, and I, the, the the thought occurred to me that you ain't like you used to be. And that's a good thing. I I realized I don't get rattled as easily as I used to. I don't it it doesn't shake me up as bad as it used to. I don't lose sleep like I used to. I've been able to say. This is what I believe God says about it. This is what we can do about it. And and just not be rattled by it. And I and I thought about as I as I've lived my life, I've looked at older people when they mature in their faith. Do you realize that they take so much in stride and just are never moved by it? They're still just as faithful, they're still just as humble, they're still just as dedicated to the work of the Lord than they've ever been. It's a mark of maturity. And here's what happens in our life. God's changing us even when we don't know that he is. Even when we might not recognize it right away. And even though we might not even feel like we've made an intentional effort, the Bible says that he washes us by his word. And as we expose ourselves to that over and over, he's growing us up. Sometimes even when we don't know that he's growing us up. But New Year's is a good time just to kind of be introspective and say, where, where are my weaknesses? Where did I struggle? Where did I get off track? And, and make those resolutions. I don't remember who said this. It may have been a Dave Ramsey course. 
I'm on budget. And, but, the, but the phrase was said, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And, 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 and planning to do better is good. Planning to do better is good for us. Executing those plans is better. <laughs> because we can plan and not execute it, and we've not made any progress. So if we plan to do good, which is what a resolution is, Re a resolution constitute, it constitutes the planning stage of what we intend to do. And, and we make physical resolutions. I'm, I'm going I'm to lose some weight this year. In fact, I thought about it this morning. I almost introduced the idea to Cindy, but I was scared she'd hold me to it. I said, you know, I almost said, you want to just get up at start, starting tomorrow, get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and go utilize some of that equipment that we bought that's upstairs in the Family Life Center that ain't never got used. But I changed my mind. Maybe she can talk me into it later today. But I need to lose about 25 pounds. I know I do. And then I know it'll make me feel better. We, make, we, we, we wasted time last year and didn't spend as much quality time with family as we wanted to. Uh, we might have a little bit of debt that we need to get out of the way so that we can live a little more freely. All those are physical plans, resolutions that we might make. And they're good. There's nothing wrong with them. Executing them is another thing. Um, I saw Clay Thomas post this morning. He made some resolutions about getting back in the gym. And he said, all of you that always see me there in January and know that I disappear in February, don't say nothing to me. Because we make those physical plans, and usually we fail at some point to execute them. But when we make plans spiritually, and some of you have done this, and I applaud you for it. I, I'm going to spend more time in prayer this year. I'm going to spend more time reading my Bible this year. I'm going to spend. I'm gonna give more. I'm going to witness more. I'm going to attend more. Those are all good spiritual resolutions nothing wrong with making them and I would say this it's better it's better to plan and fail than it is not to plan at all because uh, if you don't plan at all it's guaranteed if you don't aim at something you're going to hit it every time but if you aim at it if you intentionally try to make a plan to do better at least you'll put forth the effort um, uh, unfortunately a lot of these things um, just kind of play themselves out. And I think a lot of it is because guilt is our primary motivator and guilt's not a good motivator. So when we talk about spiritual things, we need a better motivator than guilt. Because I can tell you what guilt will do. Once you get over that, you know, if you say, I'm going to read my Bible more, when, when you do that for a week, the guilt's going to pass away. And with it, your resolution to keep doing better will. Guilt's a poor motivator. We need a better motivator than guilt. So is there a better motivator? I think there is. Romans chapter... 1 through chapter 11, Paul talks almost exclusively about the doctrinal issue of salvation being justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he talks about from Romans 1 all the way through Romans 11 is, is justification by grace through faith. That's where our salvation. Beginning in chapter 12, like he does in a lot of his letters, he begins to talk about the practical application of that. and, 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 and what I, Just like in Ephesians, what we've been talking about um, uh, beginning in Romans chapter 12, he just starts giving some bullet point list that if Jesus has done this for you, then this is what you need to be doing for Jesus. If you have been saved because you placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then this is what you ought to do because you're saved. Not in order to be saved, but because you are saved. He began that 
by, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It is the least you can do for him after what he's done for you. And he continues that through, um, through chapter 12, chapter 13, 14. He has a, a, a little bit right there at the end of the book of Romans just kind of giving some greetings to people that meant a lot to him in his ministry. But I, but, but I want to pick up his bullet point list in Romans chapter 13 and verse 8 because right in the middle of these instructions, he, give a, he gives us a good motivator um, for these spiritual resolutions and also kind of gives us some bullet points about summarizing those resolutions. Verse 8 of Romans chapter 13 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended or summarized in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. So right in the middle of that, you know, I'm, I'm jumping into his bullet list in the middle. I would encourage you to go read all of chapter 12 and all of chapter 13. Chapter 14 talks about liberty and how we exercise that liberty. But I would encourage you to read all of chapter 12 and all of chapter 13 again. Just think about, write the bullet points down because this is what our life ought to look like. But I'm going to key in on this part this morning where he gives a motivator for our resolutions, a motivator for our planning, a reason that we ought to be doing these things. And, uh, and following that motivation, he just kind of summarizes what that motivator should resolve us to do. The motivation for what we do is very simple. Jesus is coming back. Amen. The motivator for all of our spiritual resolutions is just this simple. Jesus is coming back. Why do I need to read more? Why do I need to pray more? Why do I need to study more? Why do I need to give more? Why do I need to witness more? Why do I need to grow more? Why do I need to do any of these things? Because Jesus is coming back. That was the motivator that Paul gave uh, to the church there. Look at the language that he used in there. I mean, he, he's adamant about this point. He said, knowing the time, it is high time. Why? Because our salvation right now is nearer than when we believed. And can I tell you that's still true? The return of Jesus today is nearer than it is than when you first believed. He went on to say that the night is far spent. We've already lost a bunch of time. The night is already um, well spent and the day is at hand. Now what's he talking about the day? I believe he's talking about the day of the Lord's return is at hand. So all the language that Paul uses in this section of Scripture, after he's given, given this bullet point list of how we ought to live our lives, 
said the reason that you ought to do that is because Jesus is coming back. All the apostles believed and taught that. All of the apostles believed and taught that the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ was at hand. Um, when, when, I, when we use the term imminent, you can look up the word for yourself. Literally, it means that it is sure, it is surely going to happen. And when it happens, it's going to happen suddenly. And when it happens, and if it's going to happen surely and suddenly, then you also need to understand that it can happen any time. In fact, if you read Jesus' own words about his return, he said, in a day and an hour that you think not, like the lightning flashes from the east to the west, when you don't think it's going to happen, that's when it's going to happen. Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me, Jesus said in Revelation. Quickly don't tell us when he's coming. It tells us how he's coming. Now I'm going to tell you, if you believe this book, you've got to believe that Jesus is coming back. Last thing he said while in a physical body on this earth, other than what he said to the Apostle Paul in that post-resurrection appearance, the last thing he said or the last thing that was said to them after he ascended was, why are you standing here gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus that you have seen ascend into heaven is likewise coming back just like you saw him go. And the early church lived with an anticipation that Jesus could come back any day at any moment just as quickly as he departed from them. That's still true even though it's been 2,000 years later. It's as true as he said it then, as it, as, it, as it is right now. Listen, there was a deadline to their duties. I've left you behind to be my witness to the world. I've given you my instructions about how I want you to live and what I want you to do. I'm coming back and that coming back is your deadline. You've got a deadline to do what I've called you to do, but that deadline doesn't have a date and a time. I'm not going to give you a date and a time. That deadline is going to be an event. So, what are you going to be doing when the trumpet sounds and the sky splits? Because that's what the Bible says is going to happen. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 15 that not all of us are going to die, but that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Jesus is coming back for his church. Now, if that ain't true, the Apostle Paul is a liar. If that ain't true, then what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, 26, 26, 27, when he's talking about his return, it ain't true. It is true. In a day and an hour that we think not, he's going to return. So what are you going to be doing when the trumpet sounds and the sky splits? How do you want him to find you? John said, when, I, when he comes back, I don't want to be ashamed that it's coming. And I don't want you to be ashamed that it's coming. I... I want you to be found doing what he has called you to do. 
When he comes back, is he going to find you burning with zeal for his glory in the earth? Is he going to find you laboring for his kingdom with your hand on the plow? Or is he going to find you lukewarm? Or worse than that, is he going to find you worldly-minded and full of sin? Listen, I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm just talking about how he finds you as a Christian. How's he going to find you? You know that deadline has always been a good motivator? It's, it's always been a good motivator for me. Man, when they gave me a project in school, if that joker was due on Monday, on Friday, I was wide open. I remember when we was practicing, uh, Edward said always did a good job with the Christmas play. We didn't have all this modern technology when I was memorizing Christmas play lines. They wasn't no screens projected on the back wall. They wanted them things committed to memory. And we always laughed and cut up and joked around. And we realized right there at the last week before the play starts, we about to make an idiot out of ourselves. And so we buckled down and memorized those lines. Deadlines motivate us. My daddy used to give me chores to do. And I knew what time he got off work. And I might put it off for a while, but I knew when he got home, he at least better find me doing what I told him to do. Whether I was done with it or not, I better be doing what he told me to do. We work off of deadlines, and most of us put it off until the last minute. April the 15th. Ask Cindy Matthews how many people call her the week before April the 15th. Can you, do, can you help me? with my taxes. Or at least, you know, I send her this text every year, hey, have you filed for our extension yet? <laughs> and she said, yeah, I done got you covered. So I got till October the 15th now. And, and, and you know what happens? We got from April to October to get up our deductions and stuff that we want to hand to her. And you know what happens? We, got, we wait till October the 13th to give them to Cindy so she'll at least have one day to take care of. Christmas Eve, John Green Jeweler. I thought it was Chick-fil-A. It wasn't Chick-fil-A, it was John Green Jewelers. Y'all know who was in line? Men. December 24th. Buying their woman something for Christmas. Deadlines. They get our attention. Jesus has given us a deadline. Don't stand here gazing into the heavens waiting for me to come back. Go back to Jerusalem and wait till you get power and then go be my witness to the world. Now, let's just be real honest with each other right now. If Jesus Christ had given us a date and a time that he was coming back, we'd lay around until the last minute and then get up. Because that's how we are. Let's, let's be truthful now. If I told you as a matter of fact that the scripture has pointed to, the, to this coming Friday, or let's make it better because I kind of believe Jesus is going to come on Sunday morning. He, he has Sunday morning, resurrection morning. I, I kind of just believe he's going to. Let's just say next Sunday morning. I got verifiable evidence in the word of God. Now I'm making this up, so don't think I do. If I, if I said next Sunday morning, I got verifiable evidence that Jesus said he's coming back on 
January 9th, 2022, you wouldn't be able to fit the Christians in this house. I don't care what kind of virus in the world, but you they'd be standing outside the door. I just want to be here when the trumpet sounds. That's the reason he didn't give us a time and date. I firmly believe that he didn't tell us when he's coming because he knew the nature of our man is that we're going to wait till the last minute to do what he told us to do, and he wants us to get busy doing that now. He wants us to be uh, up and about his business now. We don't know when he's coming back, but we know that he is. I, my mama, when she knew daddy giving us a list, she'd say, have you done what your daddy told you to do? And sometimes that be followed up with, you know he's going to be home in any minute. Old Keith getting high gear then. When he showed up, he think I've been working all day. The deadline of daddy's coming home. And I, li listen to me. Jesus is coming back. And, and you say, well, so, so if we're not motivated by guilt or we're motivated by fear. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm, I don't believe we ought to be motivated by fear either. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was motivated a little bit by fear when my daddy come. Because I knew if I didn't do what he told me to do, he's going to whip me. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm not trying to motivate you by fear, but here's what I am trying to motivate you. By a desire to be found faithful and grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to do what he's called me to do because he's left me here for his purpose. When he, when he returns, I want him to find me grateful for what he's done for me and faithful to the mission that he left for me to do on earth. And I said this a few weeks ago when we were studying Ephesians. I'm going to make you this promise. Jesus is coming in your lifetime. He is coming in your lifetime because Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, As it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment, Jesus is coming in your lifetime, and you don't know when that is either. Now, I've been near death a couple times. One time I was septic, when I, I know y'all get tired of hearing about my gallbladder, but I thought I was going to check out of here now. Which I had a combination of things going on because of my gallbladder dehydration that, that just messed me all up. But I thought I was having a stroke and couldn't speak, couldn't move. And my, my, I remember my youngest came into the emergency room. I still, my, my blood pressure was through the roof and I, my, I was cramping so bad I couldn't stand it. And when everyone walked in the room, I started crying. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I thought this is probably going to be the last time I ever have to talk to them. That's, that's what was on my mind. I'm checking out. Now, I wasn't scared of dying, but I, I, was, I was ready to say goodbye to my loved ones. But we don't all get a heads up on when that time's coming. So Jesus is coming in our lifetime. Whether he comes for us by death or he comes by, for us by rapture. And we don't know the date or the time of either one of those things. Uh, in, in Proverbs chapter, or Psalm chapter 90, I use this in funerals all the time. 
psalm that Moses probably wrote. And in that psalm, he said that the, the days of our years are, are three score and ten if their reason of, of strength are four score years or 80 years old, we're soon cut off. But in chapter 90, verse 12, he said, he said, teach us to number our days so that we might apply our heart to wisdom. Let us know that we don't have long and we don't know when that clock's going to strike for us. So teach us to number our days so that we can be wise. So how do, how do we number our days? What if we had a clock that counted down the years, the months, the weeks, the days, the hours, the minutes of when our life would come to an end? Where, where would the hands be right now? We don't really know where the hands would be right now. We don't know. I'm not trying to be more, but I'm just telling you a fact. Dana was 45 years old. Now, Dana, Dana was at peace with the Lord. She, 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 I, I don't have any doubt. Her body is healed and her and one knee is arguing in heaven right now. But 45 years old. And, 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 and the, the man that found her unresponsive in her home, Dana didn't know that was her day. None of us know. But what if we had a clock? Where would the hands be now? Even if you take Moses' words and say, well, 70 or 80. Looking at, looking at it from my perspective, I turned 55 on December the 31st. I'm officially a senior citizen. But if I get 80 years, I honestly didn't ever dream I'd make it to 55. The way I was living in my 20s, I, was, I didn't know if I was going to make it out of my 30s. But if I get 80 years, that's just 25 years left. That's not as much time as I've spent with y'all. I preached the funeral for Cindy's stepmother's mom a few weeks ago. She was 93, I think, 93, 94, right up in that area. But just before the funeral service, I was thinking, now when did I, her name was Mary Magdalene. I said, when, when did I meet Sister Mary? She's a very godly lady too. When did I meet her? So I... Well, Cindy and I got together 37 years ago, so somewhere in that next time. And so I subtracted 37 from her age, and I thought, holy cow. She's, um, I'm almost the same age that she was when I met her. And she's always been an old woman. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I mean, that kind of rattled me. I'm thinking. So that people looking at me like I looked at Mary. Kevin's mama told me the other day. I said, I told him, I said, your mom made me feel old with her birthday wishes today. She said, happy birthday. I know you're the same old as me, same age as me. I thought, so I could be Kevin's daddy? Yep. So I got 25 years. 9,131 days. Now that's 24-hour days, and we all know we're not going to give every hour of every day to Jesus. We sleep, eight. We eat at least an hour. I hope we bathe at least an hour and take care of our personal hygiene. 
and we probably loaf an hour. Recreation ain't bad, it's good. So you gotta subtract about 11 hours a day out of that 24. And if you do the math on that, for me personally, I got less than 5,000 days left if I live to be 80. If you work a secular job and you gotta give eight hours to an employee, you don't have the opportunity to work in full-time ministry. If I worked a secular job, I'd have less than eight years left on the clock. Serve Jesus. After all that he's done for me, he deserves for me to give him the very best of what I have. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to reach an age that you're not going to be at your prime, that you're not going to be at your peak. I can tell you something. we got some senior citizens that are at home this morning that are not physically able to do what they used to do, and it bothers them. I tell Sister, Sister Shirley's an encourager. She's a prayer warrior. And I say, when y'all can't get up and get about and do the things that you want to do for the Lord, pray for those of us who are, who are still trying to put hands and feet to his commands and be his witnesses to the world. Pray for us. That's still a ministry. But, but listen, I don't care how you look at it. Believing that you got plenty of time is the devil's biggest lie. You understand that that is the biggest lie the enemy tells us. Ah, oh, just put it off. You do it tomorrow. You do it next week. You do it next year. He does that because he knows our tendency is to procrastinate. Our, our, our tendency is that we're going to put it off for as long as we can. And, and when we do, we just waste our, our opportunities. And, and so, you know, I think it's time to ask ourselves some hard questions. What, what did I do last year that improved my walk with God? Am I closer to Jesus now than I was when we started last year? Am I doing more for his kingdom now than I was this time last year? And, and, and maybe you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you put that off. Can I tell you I've done that a bunch? I remember sitting in a church and just white knuckling the pew. And I'll tell you why I did I had a bunch of old drinking buddies and I knew that when I gave my life to Jesus my relationship with them would change not that I was going to dislike them or disown them but I knew that they wouldn't eat and they did and I sit in that church pew and, 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 and fought my wife's prayers I hung out more with my old buddies than I did my own family because of what we did when we were together. But I'd sit in that church and I'd hear that word being preached. And I'm thinking, Lord, I ain't ready to give that up yet. I ain't ready to let my friends down yet. I ain't ready. I'm, I'm not ready to live that life yet. And I hung on. I hung on. I hung on. I hung on. Until it almost cost me everything. That meant anything in this world to me. So when are you going to give up and give your life to Jesus? Give me a date. Just tell me when. Next week, I'll be at your house. Tell me what time. 
I want to be there to lead you and celebrate with you. Next month, next year, tell me when. But the reality is, is you can't tell me when because you don't know that you're going to have that opportunity. I spent a long time right there. But that motivation, I want that motivation to shake you up. Because he's coming back. I don't care that it's been 2,000 years that he said he's coming back. You understand that his first coming was prophesied for 4,000 years? And guess what? The people who God used as the oracles to prophesy his coming for the most part missed him. The people that should have been most ready for him missed him. I don't care that it has been 2,000 years. Just as surely as Gabriel showed up to tell Mary, you've been chosen to be the son of the most high. Gabriel's going to step out on a cloud one day and the father's going to say, Go get your children. Jesus, go get them. The trumpet's going to sound. The voice of the archangel's going to shout. And time for us will be no more. The resolutions are very simple. Since Jesus is coming, wake up. That's what Paul said. It's high time for us to wake up. It's high time for us to stop sleeping our lives away spiritually. While you can, make this time of your life the most spiritually productive time that you can make it. If he were to come back in the next week or the next month or the next year of your life, when he comes, let him find you burning with zeal for his glory and for his kingdom. Wake up. You ever got sleepy while you're driving? Some of y'all was in the car with Johnny Simmons coming back to Nashville that year. If you was in the car with him raising in, they might. That probably took ten years off all their life. We played softball from eight o'clock that morning till ten o'clock that night. Won the championship, got in our car, and a bunch of us made up our mind we was gonna drive back. I came back to Zion Hill to preach that Sunday morning. Johnny was didn't want to get lost, so he was on my tail. Most of the way. And I noticed that he was getting drowsy because he'd fall way back. And then all of a sudden, I'd see that expedition headlights, boy. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't know whether I need to gas it. Or he's going to run into me. Johnny left the highway. And they got barriers there now. But he left the highway, drove that expedition full of men down into the median. I seen it in the rearview mirror, and I was my all my bunch was asleep, and I'm thinking, oh my lord, we're gonna have a massive funeral in next week, because he's in the barrel roll. He got it back up on the highway, and we put off at the next exit. I got out of my car, and all them guys bailed out of that truck, and I said, y'all right? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, y'all need somebody driving? No, we got it now. We got it. They, they wide awake then. That's a close call. 
So we need some of them rumble strips in our life. You hear me? We do. We need some of those. We need to understand sometimes we off the road. You hear me? I was walking the straight and narrow, but I ain't on there no more. The Apostle Paul told the church at Galatia, you were running so well, who hindered you that you should not obey this gospel? Sometimes we got to understand, I'm off, I'm off track. I, I've done left the road, and it's time for me, for the sake of my family, for the sake of my friends, for the sake of my co-workers, for my own sake, Jesus is coming, and I need to wake up to that reality and do something different with my life. If you're going to stay in that straight and narrow, you're going to have to stay awake. Cast off, he said, the works of darkness. That's pretty simple. If you wouldn't do it in Jesus' presence, don't do it. By the way, he's always present. When Paul told us that the Lord is at hand in Colossians, I think he meant not only is his coming at hand, but that he's always near. There's nothing that we're doing that we're hiding from him. He mentions in that text, Wild parties, drunkenness, sexual immorality, fighting, jealousy. He, he's got some other texts. That he, got, he gives those same kind of bullet lists, but he summarized that in that 14th verse. He said, don't, don't, don't try to satisfy your flesh. Don't, don't follow the lust of your flesh. Don't, don't try to fulfill it. You can't. Now, we got to do this before we can do the latter because you don't put clean clothes over dirty clothes because what's underneath will eventually come out you'll soil it you'll make it smell so you got to cast off the bad habits you got to cast off the grudges you got to cast off the secret sins you got to cast off anything that's gotten between you and Jesus whatever that is same kind of things written in Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 12, when he said that we ought to lay aside the life of faith as outlined in chapter 11, chapter 12. He said, um, Wherefore, seeing your compassion about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the, the weight and the sin that so easily besets us and run with patience the race that is set before us. Cast it off. And the last thing he says is put it on. Put on what? Put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, let his presence shine through your life. Not, not a life of hypocrisy, but a life of honesty. Live for Jesus out loud. Don't put him off. Put him on every morning. Don't put off living for him. Put him on every morning. The, the world needs your witness. So does your family. So do your friends. So do your co-workers. I remember Brother Hinky Matthews, who is a, was a role model and example for every one of us in this church to follow. 
the biggest regret I had preaching his funeral was not that he went home, but that the people couldn't be there that wanted to be there because of COVID. That cemetery was surrounded that day by people that just came to pay honor to a life that had been lived for the glory of God. I remember Brother Hickey saying, I'm going to get up and go to church as much as I can for as long as I can because that's the easiest witness that I make to the world around me, that there's something on Sunday mornings worth getting up for, worth going to. You ain't got to be a church. You ain't got to be in church every time doors open and be a Christian. I, wouldn't, I ain't going to cast that judgment. I ain't going to say that. I'm not, I don't believe that. But I'm telling you, one of the easiest things you can do to be a witness to the world is let them see you and your family get in your car on Sunday morning and drive to a house of God to worship together. If you left here tomorrow, what you going to be remembered for? Sister Mary Magdalene passed and, and Cindy's stepmom asked for this before the funeral. Me and Brother James both. That, that's dangerous. Because she said, I want you to ask if anybody in the congregation has anything to say. Y'all better not do that to me. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I hope you could do that. James stepped out on that limb and said, all right, we don't give you much time, but if two or three people want to bear witness, every person that stood up and talked about the way that she lived her life for Jesus. Now, I'm sure there's a whole lot more about her life that you can mark and talk about. But the thing that the people who were the closest to her who surrounded her, the thing that they remembered most was that she loved the Lord and wanted to be a witness for Him. That's what I want to be remembered for. And that's what I want Him to find when He comes. Jesus is coming whether by rapture or by death and we need to live every day of our lives like it's our last man challenge I heard read a challenge years ago to preachers preach every day like a dying man to dying men because both are true One day it's going to be our last. You can count on that. For a lot of people, that's going to be today. It's time to wake up. It's time to cast off. And it's time to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He never failed us. He's never failed us. When He comes back, I want Him to find me doing the very best I can bring Him glory to expand His kingdom if you are not a Christian this morning if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life 
I'm going to ask you the question again. If not now, when? And if you can't tell me when, then tell me why not now. The Word of God is our invitation. You read the last chapter of the last book, and it says this. The Spirit says, come. And the bride says, come. And let everybody that's thirsty come. There's an invitation, a universal invitation extended in the Word of God for anybody that hears and believes to come. But there's an RSVP attached to that invitation. He expects a response from us. And you know what happens when you get an RSVP in the mail and you just don't answer it? When you don't send back an answer, when you don't make an answer, if you don't make it known that you're coming, you say it like this, a no answer or no answer is a no answer. If you show up at a party that had an RSVP attached and you didn't send anything back, they ain't got a place for you. I didn't plan on you being there. Listen, the Word of God says that we have to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised us from the dead in order to be saved. It says that we have to call upon the name of the Lord if we want to be saved. It says he that believeth on him won't be ashamed. You've got to answer the invitation. And I'm going to close with this. I don't even know how long I've been this morning. Y'all come on. It's almost 12. Come on. I don't know if you think about this very often, but you know, do you understand this? That everybody in heaven and everybody in hell this morning is rooting for you to say yes to Jesus. Ain't nobody in hell wants you there. The devil ain't in hell, by the way. Not yet. He will be, but he's not yet. And he ain't the Lord of hell. That's, that, that's contrary to what the scripture teaches. Satan is roaming about this world as a lion, seeking whom he can devour. He's not bound up in hell yet. He will be. He's the God of this world. He's working against you right now coming to Jesus. But I can tell you, every soul in hell, just like the rich man that lifted up his eyes in torment in Luke chapter 16, said, Father Abraham, send somebody. Make, tell somebody to go back and tell my brothers, never come to this awful place. Everybody in hell is rooting for you to come to Jesus this morning. Everybody in heaven is rooting for you too. Everybody in this church will be rooting for you. Answer the call this morning. If you're here and you're a Christian, I want to tell you this is the best life you can live. This is the best life you can live. The older I get, the more trivial the things of this world become. We're going to leave this all behind one day. And what lies before us will make the trinkets of this world 
people that are living and loving the things that our eyes and our flesh and our pride are craving. All those people are just passing away with that stuff. But John said, He that doeth the will of God abides forever. Say yes to Jesus this morning. Lord, I, I pray this morning that you'd wake us up. I pray this morning that there's some believers in this house that found themselves over on the rumble strips this morning. Maybe even completely off the straight and narrow, Lord, they, they've been awakened to a simple truth that the devil tries to hide from us all the time, that you're coming back and that we don't know when or how. Just that you are. And Lord, we want to be found faithful. We don't want to be ashamed that you're coming. So maybe there's some folks this morning that need to just rededicate, recommit, resolve. Do better. I pray especially for that one this morning that's nearest to hell. They may not know how close they are. I pray you'd save them in this moment, God. I believe with all of my heart that one step of faith you'll meet them right where they are. When the father saw that prodigal son, the Bible says a long way off, he ran to him. that step towards home. Meet them right there. Just have your will and your way in this time of invitation. May every person in this building just be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit this morning. Whoever believes won't be ashamed. That's what your book says. In Jesus' name we pray and give you all